talk about the life of a faithful builder today, and we're going to turn our Bibles this evening to the book of Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. We titled today's message, Commitment in the Face of Opposition. If you like taking notes, please write that down. Remember that commitment in the face of opposition. We're living in times where the church is facing opposition. Where the opposition is, is real, the opposition is palpable, you can feel the opposition. In fact, what happens here in chapter 4 of Nehemiah that you see in this faithful builder, Nehemiah, that he inspires others to have a mind to work. A mind to work. And they go from chapter 3 of where we learn the blessing of teamwork to chapter 4 where they have a mind to work. Now notice this, that not only were they called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but they were also called to defend the walls against the enemy. How did they defend the walls against the enemy? By prayer and the sword. And that's needed today in the church today. That's needed in our families today. In regards and in light of everything that is taking place, the spiritual warfare that is at hand, what we need is prayer and the sword. Prayer and the sword here. It was William Carey, the missionary to India, that said this, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. And we ought to expect great things from God. Here in Nehemiah, we're learning what it means to expect opposition in the face of a great work that God is doing. Because once you have a burden for the salvation of other people, once you become a, a leader builder, a faithful builder, you become an automatic target for the enemy and all of hell will oppose you so we are not to be surprised. In Nehemiah chapter 4, we learn spiritual warfare. And yes, God is present at the project of rebuilding the wall. But also, the enemy is present at the rebuilding of the wall. Do you know who shows up when we want to do a work for God? Yes, the Lord, His Spirit. But the enemy comes to try to divide and to destroy. And we're going to learn that through chapter 4. That, that Satan really never cares or bothers with a half-hearted person or a man or woman until that person is really desperate for God. And then you quickly start to notice that the world and the enemy will always have a problem with someone that stands for truth and exposes sin. And here Nehemiah is standing for truth now. Just like we today, we are called for such a time as this to stand for truth. Notice, opposition can serve as a distraction that will delay you or discourage you from doing what God has called you to do. And we're going to see here how not only can we overcome opposition, but also how we can overcome discouragement. Maybe some of us came tonight discouraged into the house of God. 
And these oppositions, these distractions that want to delay you will discourage you from doing that which God has called you to do. That's why we as a church must be vigilant in prayer. We must be watching and praying. Ready for the return of Christ at any time. In Mark chapter 13 verse 33, Jesus said, Take heed, watch and pray, for you don't know when the time is. And the different weapons and tactics that the enemy met Nehemiah with on that day, the enemy will meet us today with as well. We're going to see three different tactics that the enemy used in the life and in the work that God was doing through Nehemiah. Number one, the enemy will try to either distract you, he will want to, number two, discourage you, and finally, he will want to destroy you. Because you are faithful to doing what God wants you to do. How is it that we defend the walls and the work that God has called us to do? With prayer and with the sword. How many of you guys brought the sword tonight to church? Would you lift up your sword tonight as we pray? Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We come, Lord, right now in the face of opposition in prayer and with the sword. We come, Lord, as your army, your battalion of people, God, that are responding, Lord, right now. We know that we are under attack. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we trust in your promises, Lord. We trust, Lord, in, in what you have said in your word. And therefore, like Nehemiah and like the people, the Jewish people that were rebuilding the walls, Lord, we come in prayer, Lord, and we come with our sword. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us tonight. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Together the church would say, Amen. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1 says this, But it so happened when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Verse 2. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they, will they offer sacrifice and fortify themselves? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, the stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall." Now you see here the first weapon, the first tactic that the enemy comes and he uses now criticism in order to distract Nehemiah and the Jewish people from rebuilding the walls. So we must learn that the enemy will use criticism to try to distract us from doing that which he started in the spirit. You know that leadership by definition means change? <laughs> And therefore, it makes criticism inevitable. <laughs> Leadership, by definition, means change. And therefore, criticism is inevitable. Now you see here that Sambalat comes back on the scene now. And he comes with external distractions. We have to be very careful that we are so focused on the Lord that we don't allow external distractions from taking our attention and our focus from that which God has put our mind and our hand to do. Because Sambalat comes here now, 
And he heard of the rebuilding of the wall. Notice what it says. And he was very indignant. In fact, that word very indignant means that he was burning with rage and he mocked the Jews. Sambalat and Tobiah, we know that they began to oppose the work that God was doing through Nehemiah. They were perhaps motivated by pride or insecurity. Maybe they were jealous that Nehemiah was rising to the occasion here. But they started to speak here against the Jews. In fact, they called him feeble Jews. <laughs> if you notice there in verse 2, as we say, what are these feeble Jews doing? In fact, what they were saying, what are these weak and little Jews doing? <laughs> Have you ever felt intimidated by the criticism of the world? What do you think that you're doing with your little prayer meeting, you and your little family, the weakness that you bring. <laughs> Do you think that you're going to fortify, that you are strengthened now, Jerusalem and yourself? Do you think you're going to offer sacrifices? Or do you believe you actually can do ministry and accomplish anything for God? <laughs> in fact, they go a little more personal, and it says here in verse 2 at towards the end, will they complete it in a day? What will they ever accomplish? Will they revive? Notice, underline that word, revive. The stones from the heaps of rubbish or trash, stones that are burned. You see, the world judges everything by size. The world judges everything by numbers. The world judges everything by headlines. And here Sambalak came to ridicule and to mock the Jews, to discourage them and to distract them. You know, naturally, we want to be encouraged. Why? Because ridicule is humiliating. And they said, what can they do? Can they revive with these stones that are just trash and that are rubbish, that ha they have been burned? Now, notice this. God can make a new work from stones that have been burned in the past because God is behind it. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, the prophet tells us that the ministry of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would be to give beauty from ashes. And isn't that our testimony? That God can rebuild from the stones that have been burned in the past and give us beauty from ashes. The psalmist in Psalms 85, verse 6, said this, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? But we're looking to you for a revival. We're looking to you for a restoration, God. We're seeking your face in the midst of opposition. Notice verse 3, now to buy the Ammonite. And you see that the critics come here to add now to the opposition that was taking place. And they say, he says this, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. <laughs> their little stone wall will collapse. It's going to be weak. And he's coming to discredit the work. <laughs> In fact, do you see that critics oftentimes, those that would come and bring nothing but discouragement, ultimately what will happen is that they will miss out on what God is doing. And in the same way, the church... It's God's church. It is the bride of Christ, and Christ loves his bride. Now, why do we mention this? 
Because we should be very careful. Notice this, church, please. We should be very careful about the way that we talk about the bride of Christ. We ought to protect her testimony. We ought to speak well of her. We ought to be building the bride of Christ and not opposing the work that the Lord wants to do in his church. You see, Sambalat and Tobiah, they did not come to contribute. They came to criticize. But you see here how Nehemiah responds the same way that me and you ought to respond when opposition, when discouragement, and when criticism comes because we are faithfully following the Lord. Oftentimes, those that criticize and oppose will be those of your own household. (laughs) And do you see what Nehemiah goes? What he does? And in fact, in verse 4, it tells us this, that he goes directly and he responds in prayer. Notice what he says in his prayer in verse 4 and 5. He cries out to God and he says, Lord, you are our defender and God, you are our deliverer. Find comfort in that in prayer. That you are crying out to God. And notice what he says here. Oh God, for we are despised. You know what the Lord was doing? He was listening. I love what Pastor Jeff just mentioned. That as we prayed, yes, the Lord listened. In fact, they're crying out here in verse 4. Here, oh God, we are despised. They're calling out to God to conquer their enemies. Do you see here in chapter 4 how he's saying, Lord, we're despised. We feel the pressure. We feel the burden. We feel the opposition. We see that the enemy is coming against us, has a problem with us because we're standing to build the foundation of truth here. And it says in verse 4 as he continues, turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as a plunder to the land of captivity. In fact, he's saying, conquer our enemies, turn the reproach that they have against us, Lord, and let them become captives. (laughs) He goes on in verse 5, do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Lord, you know what he's saying? Lord, you deal with them. When we go to prayer, it's very important that we go to prayer and we don't leave prayer in the flesh. That we go to God and we give it to the Lord. You know how Nehemiah was overcoming this opposition through prayer? He gave it to God. We cannot overcome spiritual warfare in the flesh. And the moment that we try it with our own natural resources to overcome the spiritual warfare, we will fail. Because we need the Spirit of God. Prayer is our greatest weapon. And in prayer, really, he's, he's saying, Lord, you defend me. I don't need to defend myself against the critics, against the slander, against the opposition. It's very important, the lesson that we've learned in ministry that we ought to let the Lord defend us because when you try to defend yourself, notice this, God will allow you to. (laughs) But when you step back and say, Lord, you defend me, I don't have to speak back. Lord, you defend me. The Lord will fight on your behalf. In Psalms 123, verse three, the psalmist said, have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. 
Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. We feel, Lord, the pressure of those who speak against us in criticism. Notice for Nehemiah, prayer was his first resource, not his last resort. <laughs> How many times has prayer been our last resort? I want to encourage you tonight that prayer would be your first resource, not your last resort. There's often times that we try everything, and once we try everything and it didn't work, finally, okay, let's pray now. <laughs> prayer ought to be our first resource, not our last resort. Because we ought to be crying out to God. God gave him a work to do, Nehemiah. And he was not going to allow this criticism to distract them from the work at hand. Notice in verse 6 what happens because God answers prayers. And in verse 6 it says, So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together. There was a unity. There was a completion here. There was an advancement. There was progress here up to half his height for the people had a mind to work. Would you underline that in your Bible? We prayed. And we built the wall. <laughs> and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Do you know what happened when they prayed? A unity happened. That not only did they work united. They work with an enthusiasm. And a mind to work was a gift that was given to them out of prayer. We cannot have unity or a mind to work outside of prayer. In fact, no significant work for God will ever be accomplished until people come together with a mind to work when they've been in prayer. And this is exactly what Satan wants to destroy and attack, the mind to work. So that we don't come together and work together as a church. So that the church is divided. In fact, he wants to make us feel defeated or passive, self-focused at times, or even discouraged. I love how in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the apostle encourages the church and he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind to work, the mind of humility, but also the mind of service. Do we see that? That's exactly what's taking place here, the mind of humility and the mind of service. And yes, much had been done at this point, but there, there was still a lot of work to be done. <laughs> and fatigue, notice this, and discouragement were ready, were ready to set in if they allowed it. Now we need to realize something here before we move forward, that opposition, and notice this please, church, opposition does not end after the first attack. Rather, it continues into the building of the wall. We are actively engaged in spiritual warfare when we enlist in the Lord's army. <laughs> this is exactly why we need to come and defend the walls of prayer and devotion in our lives, in our churches, with prayer and the sword. Now, not only what is it, it distractions that came, also discouragement that came. If the enemy can't distract you, notice, look what he's going to want to do, discourage you. And here from verses 7 through 9, we see the discouragement that is coming as he has to overcome the threats that are coming against him. 
Notice in verse 7, as it goes on, it says, Now it happened when Sambalat and Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored, notice, or revived, and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. <laughs> they started to notice that there was progress because people had a mind to work, because people were willing, because they were available, because... They had a heart that was responding to the call, and the enemy was angry that there was progress in God's work. They heard, there's revival, there's a restoration. Here comes the enemy. The enemy is angry now. You know, revival happens in the church, in your life. Revival happens not only when you have confessed, but when you have repented and things begin to change. Because it's not only enough to confess, we must also repent. And repentance is the beginning of revival. Here things started to change. <laughs> and the enemy was not happy. We need to say, Lord, you, we welcome the change in our lives. We want to repent from those things that do not please you so that we can grow. Because if you're not willing to change, you will never grow. Notice what happens here in the following verse. Verse 8. That they were upset, the enemy, and it says, and all of them conspired, they came with a plan together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. You know, do you see that the enemy wants to do that in discouragement? He wants to come into our lives and create confusion in the home? Confusion in the body of Christ? Confusion among the leaderships? all across the churches. And the enemy will come and try to destroy the work of God by causing confusion because confusion, you know what confusion causes? Confusion is the beginning of division. This is why we have to have our minds fixed on God. Confusion also happens when, when we want to manipulate the plan of God and what God wants to do. That's why we have to take our hands off of it and say, Lord, you do what you want to do. And let us support what you're doing. We must not be those that are allowing confusion into the church, into our marriages, into our homes, into your own life. And if God is leading you a certain direction and you're confused, it is better that you pause and ask the Lord for clarity because God is the God of confirmation. He is not the God of confusion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, Paul tells the church, when it comes to order, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace in all the churches of the saints. God is not the author of confusion. In fact, later on in that very same chapter, 1 Corinthians 14.40, he says, let all things be done decently and in order. The enemy will try to confuse you so that you end up discouraged. Now, discouragement is such a powerful weapon because somewhat discouragement, notice this, it's the opposite of faith. Discouragement is the opposite of faith because where faith believes God where faith believes God's love, where faith believes God's promises, believes what God has said, discouragement looks for and believes the worst. 
Have you ever been in a place where you're discouraged and you just start believing the worst about the situation and the worst about other people? That's what we need to ask the Lord to give us peace. And discouragement pretty much, really what it does, it forgets about who God is and what he has said he's going to do. What he has promised. That's why we as a church have to remember in the moment of darkness, what has God said in the light? What has God said in his word? We have to be those people that are not paralyzed by fear or by discouragement. Now, what does Nehemiah do here in verse 9 as he responds to his discouragement? He says this, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. Here we see it again, prayer. What is, he say, what is he doing here? It says, we made our prayer to our God. Circle the word we. Because it was corporate prayer. Yes, we should be praying individually, but there is a special ministry in the body of Christ in its corporate prayer. In fact, the prayer ministry is the mother ministry to every other ministry that takes place in the body of Christ. Without that ministry, no other ministry can function properly. Because then it's just spiritual works that are unanointed. No prayer. You know what Nehemiah wanted to do? He wanted to keep this work anointed. He wanted to keep this work sacred. Notice, when they built the gates, what did they do in the beginning? They dedicated them. They consecrated them to the Lord. Consecration happens when the church starts to pray. And notice as they prayed, verse 9, it says, We made our prayer to our God, and and because of them we set a watch. Prayer means to also be vigilant against them day and night. They were committed They were vigilant. Our greatest duty is to be vigilant in prayer. Psalms 50 verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Are we calling on the Lord for deliverance? You see, the people didn't only have a mind to work. They had a heart to pray. They had an eye to watch. So we set a guard to watch, listen to what it says here, day and night. What is it that's required of us if we want to be men and women that defend the wall? Defend the ministry, defend the family, the home, the church, the truth, that we would have a mind to work, a heart to pray, and an eye to watch. Think about Jesus. He overcame the enemy in a whole night of prayer. As he was being dressed in the prayer closet with the armor of the Father, the armor of God. The Bible tells us that we ought to put on the armor of God so that we are able to stand and resist the wiles of the devil. What does it tell us here that Nehemiah did not only know how to organize, listen to this, he also knew how to agonize. (laughs) Do you know how to agonize? Oftentimes when we face opposition, you know what we want to do? We want to receive input from everyone. But what does that input matter if the input's not coming from God? 
had my wife remind me that recently. <laughs> the input must be coming from God. This is why we have to give really special attention and accountability to the area of prayer in our life. Because until you're walking in consistent victory, until you're walking in consistent victory, we need to keep ourselves accountable. Are you accountable in the area of prayer? And notice this, prayer doesn't replace our actions. Prayer makes our actions more effective, anointed, so that they have now a special ministry to meet the needs of those around us. And what they're saying here in verse 9, it says, we trust you, Lord. We put our faith in you, Lord. We've gone back to prayer, a, a faith that has actions now, and they're trusting the Lord. They're saying, Lord, we love you now. Because they've become less concerned with the critics and with the ridicule and more concerned about the presence of God. Why is it that today we're so concerned about the ridicule and the critics instead of about the presence of God? In fact, I want to ask you something tonight. What grabs your attention more? What holds your attention more? The, the critics and the ridicule or the presence of God? The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 4 how to overcome worry and discouragement. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the God of peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of us can say amen to that right now? Amen. You know what it says? That in prayer, God's going to build a garrison around your heart and your mind to protect your mind from discouragement. <laughs> That's awesome. A garrison now. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, because in due season we shall reap and if we don't lose heart. Oftentimes the reason why we do not reap is because we lost heart too early. And here they're working with a purpose now. They have a mind to work. And if we too have a mind to work, if we're faithful to the call that God has for us, you too, we will also reap the rewards of faithfulness. Are you ready to reap the rewards of faithfulness? The enemy comes to distract, he comes to discourage, but he also comes to destroy. Verse 10, let's look at it. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing them, and there's so much trash or rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. They became overwhelmed now by internal discouragement. It wasn't only external distractions, it was also internal discouragement. And they began to complain. They were tired. They weren't able to build a wall for themselves. They had so much trash and work to do and work to remove that fatigue now. And fear started to kill their focus and their vision. Do you know that fear and also fatigue will kill your vision and your focus? They started to experience a loss of strength, your loss of vision, a loss of confidence. And when there's a loss of confidence, when you lose confidence, discouragement is not far behind. It's not far behind. And when we allow ourselves to, to step into discouragement and to dwell in discouragement, you know what happens? Then depression sets in. You see, the work of rebuilding the wall, it wasn't only about the construction, it was also about the cleaning. And here Judah, the laborers, 
said that the rubbish or the trash that they had to remove was too much. You have to understand that for 100 years, this, this, the site of the wall was a place now, a corporate place for coming to now dump your trash, your rubbish. And what they had to do before they started to build, they had to remove, they had to clean the trash up or remove the rubbish so that they can build on the foundation of the walls or else the wall would not stand. So likewise, with our Christian life, nothing can be rightly built for God or for God's glory until we first come and sweep out the rubbish that is taking place in our lives. Have you ever tried to build on something without a foundation? You know, taking out the garbage can be oftentimes a discouraging work, but it must be done. The tribe of Judah was getting discouraged. There's so much trash that we have to remove so that we can start building. You want to build right? You're going to start to take out the trash first. In fact, in verse 11, notice what it says. And our adversary said, Judah is saying here, listening to the voices of the adversaries, overwhelmed by the work that needed to take place, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. What do they want to do? There's threats. We're going to come in. We're going to kill them. The enemy is saying the work will end. Verse 12, so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them or who dwelt near the enemies came that they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. How many times? 10 times. Wherever you turn, we heard them. They're going to come. Who were they? They were those that lived next to the enemies. Have you ever been around someone that just always brings discouragement news to you? (laughs) Ten times. You see, if you're prone to discouragement, or you're prone to being discouraged easily, then you shouldn't run the risk of spending a lot of your time with people that always bring discouragement information. Do you see what's happening here? Verse 13, look what Nehemiah does. Therefore, after hearing the threats and the attacks, the internal discouragement and opposition that's taking place here, he rises to the occasion in verse 13, and he places armed guards. He regroups them so that they don't face the attacks alone. Notice, therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall, At the openings, I set the people according to their families with the sword, their spears, and their bows. Isn't this amazing what Nehemiah does? He regroups them and he sets the men to cover any exposed areas and gaps of the wall. He stationed them, notice here in verse 13, according to their families. And he said, all the men cover the gaps that are right in front of your own homes and families because that was a loyal place, a place of commitment, a place that they would guard safely with swords, spears, and bows. That was the greatest place of personal accountability and responsibility. Do you know what Nehemiah did? He said, this wall now, it has become a personal responsibility to you. Guard it in front of your own home." Are you guarding that which is in your own home? Are you leading your family, men? Men, are you leading your family? Are you protecting them from the attacks of the enemies? Are you standing in the gap? Or are you missing? 
We saw what those gates meant in chapter 3. It's, they meant prayer. They meant protection. They meant purity. And they meant devotion. And Nehemiah knew that not only the walls were important to them, but also their families, and he had good discernment. Look at what happens in verse 14. And I looked and I rose and said to the nobles, the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid. Now, can we read that together? And I want you to resound very loudly, do not be afraid, because it says, and I looked, arose, and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people together, do not be afraid. Can we try that again? And I said to the leaders, do not be afraid. How strong does that sound? (laughs) Amen. Can we praise God for that? Why does Nehemiah come and tell them that? Because they were afraid. (laughs) They were afraid of the threats of the enemy. Seems like every day the church faces more and more threats when it comes to corporate worship and the work of the God. But he was reminding them. Notice what he's going to remind them in verse 14. It says, do not be afraid, remember. Do you know why we oftentimes are fearful? Because we forget. So he has to remind them now of God's faithfulness, that God is great and God is glorious. Do not be afraid of the enemy Because of who you're fighting for and who is on your side. Notice, remember the Lord, great and awesome. God is great. God is glorious. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Now, how do you remember the Lord in spiritual warfare? By calling to mind the things that he has said. How do you remember the Lord? By calling to mind the things that he has said. Maybe you, did, you, tell you, you came with some fear. You know what Isaiah chapter 26 says, the prophet said? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord for in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. God wants to give you perfect peace. He's inspiring them with purpose and calling. It says, he's saying, fight for your your brethren, your wives, your families, your children. We fight effectively the most for the Lord, for the Lord's work now, when we keep in mind how much there is, notice this, to lose. How much there is to lose. When you know what's at stake, when you know what's at stake for your family, men, Ladies, when you know that the spiritual condition of your children are at stake, you know what there is to lose. You're going to be more committed to the work of the Lord than ever. And here he reminds them that it's not enough. Victory doesn't look like here at church. And please understand, victory doesn't look like enduring opposition or the attack. Oftentimes we think that, that victory looks, we endured the attack. That doesn't look like victory. Victory not only looks like enduring, it looks like enduring and at the same time progressing the work of the Lord. It's not enough only to survive. We're not called to survival. We're called to revival as a church. And here they were rising up to the occasion and and they were not going to live in fear. We ought to not be those that are living in fear. I I mean, I, I go oftentimes with my wife and my son to the park and I see 
other parents, and, and, and really the climate of today, it's all fear. And please, do not raise your children to live in fear. Raise them to be strong and courageous in the Lord. Because living in fear is ultimately living in disobedience. It's living disobedience. Look at verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God, who did it? God had brought their plot to nothing. I love this one. It's a work of God. No matter what man wants to do, it will come to nothing. <laughs> that he brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to their own work. They went back. They made adjustments. Verse 16, so it was from that time on, look at the undeniable, unwavering commitment that they were building with the sword, that half of my servants work with construction, while the other half held spears and shields and bows and wore armor. Notice this, the armor that's so needed. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Now the, the leaders were supporting those that were receiving the attacks and giving attention to them as well, the tribe of Judah now. And those who built on the wall, verse 17, and those who carried burdens loaded themselves. Loaded themselves. Today, it's time to load ourselves. Load yourself. Don't say, I'm just halfway committed. I'm half-hearted committed to the work of the Lord, to my family, raising them up to the Lord. No, they loaded themselves. Notice how they loaded themselves. So that with one hand, they worked at construction. With one hand, they had a brick. And with the other, they held a weapon. (laughs) This is commitment here. Talk about standing in the gap. And notice as it goes on, and every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Every one of the builders had a sword. No matter how much you're building, no matter where you're building, are you carrying your sword? Which sword? The double-edged sword. Because if you don't have a sword, you should be nowhere near the wall. You should be nowhere near the wall or or rebuilding. We will lose the moment in spiritual battle that you no longer are willing to carry your sword. The sword of the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Now it said that next to Nehemiah was the man with the trumpet who sounded the trumpet, who sounded the alarm for those to be ready. Verse 19, then I said to the nobles, the rulers and the rest of the people, to the leaders and the rest... Of the Jews working, the work is great and extensive. There's so much to do. We are separated from one another at the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us. There our God will fight for us. Wow, isn't this an, a special moment in battle? Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, everyone will rally together. We're in spiritual warfare, church. With one hand a brick, the other a sword. But have an ear out for the sound of the trumpet. <laughs> Are you ready to listen to that sound of the trumpet? That tr- that when the trumpet sounds, the Bible tells us that the dead in Christ will rise first and then we will be caught up together with the Lord to meet him in the clouds in heaven. Amen. You see how it's so important to be ready in spiritual warfare, even to hear the trumpet sound? Notice verse 21, so we labored in the work and half of the men held spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. Notice, there was no schedule. 
There was no nine to five. It was a commitment. They were there until the wall was completed. I had an opportunity to talk to a wall builder at work. And I asked him, well, how long do you work when you go and you start a project? His hands were dirty, callous. He had boots that were beat up. He looked at me and he said, I go to work until the wall is finished. How many Christians have stopped working on the wall? The wall of prayer, the wall of devotion, the wall of integrity. This is an unwavering commitment. In fact, look what happens in verse 22. At the same time, I said to the people, that each man and his servant stay the night in Jerusalem. If you live outside of Jerusalem, don't leave. Sleep over. <laughs> stay the night here. That they may be on guard or be our guard by night and working party by day. You are under orders right now. No days off. Choose commitment. Too often today, we hear the word burnout a lot. You know, burnout takes place when we lost our vision and we stopped spending time with the Lord in prayer. So we need a reset. You and Nehemiah said, he said, don't go home. <laughs> Stay here and continue to build. He enlisted them into full-time ministry and service. He enlisted them to maximum capacity. He was not scared to teach them hard work. And notice in verse 23, So neither did I or my brethren, my servants, nor none of the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes. Notice what happens. Nobody took off their clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. What kind of clothes is he talking about? His work clothes. We didn't take them off. <laughs> You know what that, that message stands for us? He spoke about readiness. A mind to work now. He was always faithful. I'm always available. I have my work clothes on, including Nehemiah, it says here. They carried their weapons at all times. Notice what takes place here. That as we look at this, we ought to ask ourselves, how can we be more like this? <laughs> how can we be a Christian that lives in the day of Nehemiah that are willing to rebuild the walls? That are willing to stand against criticism and discouragement and those attacks that when the enemy wants to come and destroy the work of the Lord. You know, when they kept their clothes on all the time, it was because they didn't want to be caught, notice this, unprepared. They didn't want to hear the sound of the trumpet and they were not ready. Are you ready for when you hear the sound of the trumpet? That blast of the trumpet? <laughs> They said, we have our work clothes on because we want to be prepared. So when that trumpet blasts, we're ready to rally together and God is going to fight for us. This speaks about faithfulness. In Luke chapter 12, verse 35, you know what Jesus said? Let your waist be girded and your lamps be burning. <laughs> you know what, what, what a lamp burns with? It burns with oil, <laughs> Oil, the Holy Spirit. And, and you know where, where oil is produced? In Gethsemane. In the place of crushing. In the olive press. Gethsemane is a place where oil is produced so that lamb can continue to produce its light. And Jesus said, let your waist be girded and your lamps be burning.
And as we sing this song right now, maybe you came today with a heavy heart. But in humility, we can cast our cares. In humility, we can cast our worries. In humility, we can cast our burdens to the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says this, Casting your cares, casting your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober or be clear-headed, be vigilant, watchful, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. The opposition is real. Therefore, we must come to the Lord in humility and in, in surrender and say, Lord, we're casting our cares upon you. You know what cast your care upon him means? It means to throw it away from you, your care. In fact, it means to roll it over to God, that care. It has a picture almost right there as to throw a blanket over a horse. Throw, cast it on him. The Lord invites us to cast our cares upon him. Why? Because we have an adversary. And yes, we have an adversary, but listen to this, church. I want you to know this in spiritual warfare. We have to remind ourselves. Yes, we have an adversary, but we also have an advocate. And his name is Jesus. The Bible says that he lives ever so to make intercession for us in the presence of God. You know what that means? It means that he's ready to minister to your need. Simply, that's exactly what it means. He's ready to minister to your need now, to meet your need. This is exactly why today we want to cast off discontent. We want to cast off discouragement. We want to cast off despair. We want to cast off fear. We want to cast off suffering to the Lord and trust him because he knows what he's doing in our lives. You may not know, but he knows what he's doing in your life. Can we cast off that which is burdening us today? As we sing this song, I'm gonna invite you to stand on your feet. If you need to cast something over to the Lord, just stand on your feet and come forward to the altar because we're gonna cast it over to the Lord. In the midst of spiritual warfare, maybe you find yourself in spiritual warfare, that as we sing this song, that you would stand and come. Yes, we say, come as you are. Come as you are, but please, don't leave as you came. Don't leave as you came. You can have hope in Jesus Christ. You can have hope in Jesus Christ. Let's sing this song. I'm going to invite you to stand if you want to cast your care upon him. And come on forward because we're going to pray.